Amen. I will invite you all to be seated, except I have the privilege tonight of introducing our witness this evening. Jennifer, you don't get to sit down. Come on up, woman. <laughs> Jennifer Newsbaum is coming to talk with us. She's a member here at Bethany, one of our sisters in Christ, and she's a member of the Faith and Family Fellowship class. That might be the first time I ever got those three correct in the right order. Yes. So thank you for being with us this evening to share your message. Thank you. Okay. Oh, thank you all. You're too kind. I told Frank I wanted this mic because my legs tend to wander when I talk. So this will be home base, but I may not stay here long. So I know some of you, but I am not a frequenter much of Wednesday night worship thanks to our kids' crazy choir schedules and chasing around our two-year-old. Um, but I'm Jennifer, as she said, and I am a cradle Methodist. I was born in the Methodist church. Um, apart from a few trying different denominations in college, I remained a United Methodist. Um, we were always at the church whenever the doors were open, and that was you know, Sunday and Wednesday for sure. Um, but any other days, if there was something going on, we were, we were present. Um, it was... It was the community that I knew. And there was really not much outside of that faith community. I mean, we had friends that went to other churches, but for the most part, what we did was with that church, that church body. Um, another thing that you may not know about me is I was a pastor for a brief stint, very brief stint. Um, I came from the Texas Annual Conference, which is Galveston up to Texarkana. Um, still have a lot of pastor friends over there. I went to seminary at Asbury Theological Seminary, and I um, pastored a couple of small churches as the sole pastor, and then was an associate at a medium-sized church. So this is the first time that I am speaking in front of people since I left that. Um, how many, 12 years ago? Yeah, 12 years ago, God, that's crazy to think. But um, God has a funny sense of humor. I was not the person that I would have ever seen as, oh yes, they have a call to ministry. I was quiet, I'm an observer by nature. Um, I did not think that I would ever want to speak in front of people, ever. I hated speech class with a passion. But it was a very clear calling, and it was one of those where God and I did a little bit of wrestling, but in the end, it was about following his call. So off to seminary, I went, and... Um, then in 2008, he has, a, he has a funny sense of humor. I went up to general conference and I lobbied to shorten, back then it was called the probationary period, as if we had done something wrong before we became full-fledged pastors. But it was three years and we wanted to shorten it to two. So I went up to Fort Worth with some of my other young clergy friends and we lobbied to get it reduced to two years. And then not long after leaving that, God was like, okay, You've been faithful, and now we're going to take a hard right, and we're going to leave. Okay, God, you called me to do something that was very much outside of my comfort zone, something that I came to love and really 
really enjoyed doing, and now we're going to walk away from it. And because I am a planner by nature, I like to know plan A, B, C, D, and maybe even F if I need to. He doesn't really tell me much about his plan because then it becomes my plan and I kind of mess it up. So that was all that I knew was that I was supposed to leave. So that is a little brief, hopefully brief, hopefully I didn't talk too long about that. A brief history about me. So I am thrilled to be back here, and um, during the Ash Wednesday service, I felt a nudge. And I've been ignoring some nudges lately. Shame on me, I know, but I have. And so I was sitting in that service, and I felt another nudge. Jennifer, you need to sign up for one of those vacant speak on Wednesday night service nights. And so I got up, and I went and I found Sherry, and I cornered her, and I said, I need to speak on a Wednesday night. <laughs> because I knew that if I didn't do it then, I would go home, and I would find several reasons why I did not need to send her an email to speak on a Wednesday night. So, so small steps of obedience, right? We never know what's going to come of them, but we just continue to take them. So I thought when I was thinking about what to talk about tonight, I thought about a passage that I kind of wrestled with in my teenage years and God has kind of brought back into my life as of late to allow me to wrestle with it yet again. And it comes from Peter, chapter one, verses 15 and 16, and then verse 22. And it says, instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct, for it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. As I mentioned before, I am a planner. I like plans. And in my teenage years, faith kind of became a checklist. Uh, things to get right. And um, it became very much about the works, very much about am I doing things the right way? Am I doing things that will please God? And for a lifetime Wesleyan, one thing that kind of got lost in the midst of that was the grace because I became so focused on doing things and checking them off and being the good Christian and doing all the right things and saying the right things and living the right way that grace kind of went by the wayside. And then I reached a point where it just became too much. And this verse, rather than being one to be uplifting and encouraging, became one that began to feel like something I could never live up to. It became the verse that kind of carried so much weight with it that I thought there is no way that I will ever be able to live up to the be holy for I am holy. So I kind of wandered a little bit, you might say. Um, and in the midst, I kind of thought that God had abandoned me. Now we all know that didn't really happen, but that's what I thought. And really, I had abandoned myself. I had not allowed my safe, myself any self-love, any forgiveness, any grace. 
I was willing to give it to everyone else, but I could not for the life of me offer it to myself. I was my harshest critic, and there wasn't anything that I could do that was going to make it right. But God, being the ever-present, wonderful God that he is, drew me back oh so patiently. And then the ministry happened. Fast forward to in the last few weeks. I don't know about y'all, but for me, this Lent has felt heavy. And probably somewhat appropriately so. I mean, when we enter the Lenten season and we look at Jesus and the struggles in the wilderness and the time to prepare for Easter, we kind of want to have that kind of soul-searching moments, right? Like to either take away things that aren't important or to add things that draw us closer to God, deeper in our relationship with Him. And it's kind of, for me, had that sense of heaviness. Like God has been wanting to tell me something if I would just listen. Come this verse into the picture. So to study this passage, I did what any good seminary graduate would do. I started doing a word study and a passage study and I did some exegesis. I did, you know, what did this passage mean for Peter? Okay, well, he was referencing Leviticus. So what did it mean in Leviticus? And I got it all, I got it all, you know, in order. So I'm going to share some of that with you because, I mean, I went through all that effort. So <laughs> you get to hear it too, right? So Peter references Leviticus. And as you can tell by my attire, I do not live in the Levitical law. I am clearly breaking a few things right off the bat. But he references it, I mean, Leviticus references this be holy for I am holy three times. The first time is in Leviticus 11, and it's where God is telling them what they shouldn't eat, that they should be set apart, that their dietary needs or dietary laws, thank you, should look different than those around them because he was forming them as a people and he wanted them to be set apart from those around them. And one of the ways was in how they ate. Leviticus 19 has remnants of the Ten Commandments. It talks about honoring your parents and not serving idols and observing the Sabbath to be holy, to be set apart in doing these things. Leviticus 20 talks about not having spiritual trust in other things or of other deities, but to worship God and God alone. And so I tried to then take that and look at what Peter was talking about. Here we have Peter in the New Testament, and he was writing to people living as foreigners. The trials that they've been through have shown that they have true faith and all their hope and salvation through Jesus Christ. And he wants to remind them, in the midst of being foreigners, in the midst of being in a place where it would be so easy to just blend in, that they were called to be set apart. They were called to be holy. They were called to look different because as followers of Christ, we are different. Now another one passage, it's not the same word, those are holy, but another passage 
that gave similar qualms in my teens was Matthew 5.48. Be perfect, because the Lord God is perfect. Now, for someone who is a perfectionist, who likes plans and who likes control, that one was really tough. Because I tell you what, I tried my darndest to be as perfect as I could be, and it just wasn't really working the way I wanted it to work. And I want to quote it, I want to quote it in full. It says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the reason I bring this in tonight is I think the two go together. Jesus, using different words, isn't necessarily referencing Leviticus, but the ideas are so similar in our faith walk. You have Peter, who's talking about being holy, being set apart, and then Jesus talking about being perfect. And another way to think of that is spiritually mature. That's another way that you can translate the Greek word. So... We're clearly not following the Levitical law. So how do these apply for us? Well, let's look at the first example in Leviticus about what they ate. We're told that our body is the temple, right? Now that we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit resides in us, and our bodies serve as the temple of God. No longer do we have to wait until one day a year when the priest gets to go into the Holy of Holies to have access to God. We get him all day, every day. But with that, with being a follower of Christ, we're set apart. So our bodies as temples, we pay attention to what goes in them, right? And not, not just with food, but through our minds, what we see, what we hear. All of it, if we think about this is the temple of God, should we be set apart in a way that what we allow to go in looks different than the world? The second one in Leviticus talks about a lot about external, how to live, not to follow idols or not to or to honor your mother and father or to observe the Sabbath. So how we live what we take in, how our actions reflect our faith. How do we treat others? How do we speak to others? How do we protect or defend others? How do we look set apart? Do we look set apart? In our culture today, do we as Christians look set apart from everyone else? If we take the third example in Leviticus, where does our trust lie? Does our trust lie in other deities? Does our trust lie in other forms of religions? Or does our trust lie in God? Are we set apart? The Matthew 5.48 is interesting to me because it's when he's telling them to love their enemies. It's easy, he says, to love your friends. It's harder to love our enemies. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love the people who you have a hard time even liking. Love the people that you don't want to be around. Love the people who you so disagree with that you can't even have a civil conversation with them. Love the people that you unfollow on Facebook because you don't like anything they post. 
set apart, spiritually mature. I think it's easier to live set apart when we are spiritually mature, when we have opened ourselves and allowed God to come in and so change us that we kind of naturally become set apart because we start to do the things, say the things, think the things, live the things that are of him and that aren't of this world. I think Lent is a good time to invest in the new ways. It's kind of the time we talked in our class about, you know, sometimes, I mean, growing up, I would give up like donuts, right? Because I only ever really got donuts on Sunday morning, but I'd give them up. I was really sacrificing a lot. Or as I got a little older, I would give up soda because we only really got that on the weekend. So again, sacrificing a lot. So we talked in our class, in our Sunday school class, about well, what are things that we can add? What are things that we can do in our faith walk that you know, maybe we've been meaning to do and just haven't gotten around to it? Or maybe it's trying new things. Maybe it's praying in a different way. Maybe it's focusing on scripture in a different way or getting that extra devotional out to help us nudge us and have new ideas and new ways of seeing the scriptures. What are things that we can do that open the window for God to come in and change us? Because he's there and he's ready and he's willing, but he's not going to force it. He's not going to force us to change and be different. He's not going to force us to follow him. So until we open ourselves up to that, we will continue to remain the same. Jesus also tells them to love our neighbor as ourselves. And this is another one that I've been wrestling with a lot lately, just with so much that's going on in our world and just seeing how different friends of mine talk to each other. And, um, and one thing that I've really focused on is it says we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Do we know how to love ourselves? Do we know that we're worth loving? Do we know that we're worth forgiving? Do we know that we're worth extending grace when we mess up? For me, it stands out because I was that person that didn't know how to do any of those things. I could forgive someone who was mean to me, but it took a lot longer sometimes never, to forgive myself for hurting someone else. So do we know how to love ourselves? And do we allow God to love us? Do we allow God in to love us fully and completely as much as he wants to? Or do we kind of, you know, God, you can love me a little bit, but I'm not really worth, like, all the lavishness. I'm not really worth all of the grace that you have the power to bestow upon me. Just a little bit, just give me a little bit. Because I think if we allow God to show us the vastness of his glory, to show us his grace and his mercy and his love in ways that truly transform us, 
then it makes it really easy for us to go and do that to other people because we've experienced it. We know what it's like, and we know that even us, our worst critics, are lovable. Even us, the people that when we mess up, we don't want to forgive ourselves, we don't want to move on, we want to keep beating ourselves up a little bit more, that even us are loved. Even us are accepted. Even us are forgiven. Spiritual maturity being perfect, that is being transformed by the Holy Spirit. So I think my prayer this Lenten season is that maybe finally, for the first time in a long time, I will be open to being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And if there's anyone else who might be in that place that's really hard on yourself or really hard on someone else, that will open those windows and those doors to our souls and to our spirits and to let God come in and just wash over us, to just love on us and forgive us and just accept that grace that he so wants to give to us if we just let him. So maybe being holy because he is holy or being perfect because he's perfect, maybe they're not so scary. Maybe it's his invitation to us to let him in, to let him do the work in us so that we can be more like him, that we can be changed, that we can be transformed, that we can be set apart. I pray that it's Lent, that we allow God to pour into us anew so that our lives look different, that we are set apart, and that he transforms our hearts. Do you join me in prayer? Heavenly and most gracious God, what an honor it is to gather with our brothers and sisters. God, during this time of Lent, we pause to Remember what you've done. To remember that as the second Adam, you came and you didn't make a mistake. God, that you redeemed the mistakes that we had made. God, that you made it possible for our sins to be washed away. That we may be made white as snow. God, this season I pray that you speak anew and fresh to each one of us. God, whatever ways you're wanting to grow us and transform us, God, that we would open our arms and say, yes, we are ready. Come into our hearts, clean house, and make us better for you. God, make us more loving, more accepting, more forgiving, more gracious, more all of the things that we love to talk about at church so much. God, may it be so that we are ready and willing to allow you to come in and do your work so that we can then go into the world and be your hands and feet and to show others your love and your grace. It's in your name that we pray. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.